And that is the whole problem with aliens, is you just can't trust them. Occasionally you meet a nice one, Starman, E.T. But usually they turn out to be some kind of big lizard. <laughs> I met a cute human-alien hybrid at the Gray Pride Parade. I'm Joe Fulgham. You got your Fermi paradox in my Drake equation. I'm Fraser Kane. Alien invaders, they make for good pod. I'm Torin Atkinson. Aliens ask the most probing questions. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you Fraser Kane. But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational, strapped in for the caustic soda show. Abduction comes from a leading away from Latin abductionum. Mm, sounds like a Doctor Strange spell. Abductionum. Well, that's all. Whenever you speak Latin, magical spells will happen. <laughs> that's why we stopped using that language. It's uh-huh. a dead language now because it's so fucking dangerous. <laughs> yeah. From ab, meaning away, and uh, ducere, meaning to lead. To lead away. Oh. Yeah. So it's more like a Pied Piper Just, kind of thing. And, and ducere is where duke comes from. A duke is a leader. Oh, leading away, leading people leading away people. from their freedom. Well, well the, without the ab, <laughs> without the ab, he's not an ab duke. He's just a duke. Right. He leads. Oh, okay. But when you ab duke, you lead away. Well, then, okay. uh, what about right. the nickname for taking a poop? I mean, leaving a duke. Oh, it's going away from your bowels. I think okay. my new fantasy world is going to have to have an ab duke. He leads everybody, but only because he like took them in, away from where they were supposed to be. Now, see, when you, when you say ab duke, I think of a uh, gay superhero because he's got the six pack. Oh, six, only gay six, people are in shape. Wait, what? <laughs> He's the ab duke. Just because you're not in shape and you're straight, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's true. I'm jealous. Xenophobia yeah. is the fear of aliens. And xenomorphophobia is the fear of a very specific alien. Right. Mm-hmm. Our special guest for this episode on aliens is our returning guest, Fraser Kane. Hello, Fraser. Third time's the charm. Yeah. Woo. Oh, going to have a good one this time? Oh. Yeah. No, I've been saving my good stuff for you guys. It's, <laughs> it's, the other two, don't even listen to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But and this one, this one's going to blow your mind. We know that your bona fides are you have an astronomy podcast called Astronomy Cast. Yes, that is true. And I will not deny that. And you are the publisher of Universe Today, the online magazine about astronomy? That is also true. Excellent. Yeah, I've been doing the Universe Today for 15 years now, reporting on the space news. And what's new in space? The biggest thing is, of course, the uh, Rosetta's arrival at... Comet 67 Jury Guri, 
which uh, has been getting these amazing close-up views of this of this comet, and uh, and it looks like a rubber ducky. And by a Ro- rubber ducky. And by Rosetta's arrival, you meant somebody shot the Rosetta Stone into space, where it belongs. Oh yeah, yeah. no kidding. <laughs> learn learn English, aliens. <laughs> And hieroglyphics. Yeah. Ancient Greek, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hieroglyphics in ancient Greek, yeah. aliens. If you're going to come to our planet, you're going to learn our language. Maybe you could enlighten us, Fraser, about what is the Drake equation. I've heard something about this. Right. So this is the calculation made by Frank Drake to kind of try and guess how many aliens there might be out there in the universe. And so he he sort of looked at all of the kinds of... Uh, things that go into making life here on Earth, the the habitable planet, the how close the planet is to to its star, uh, what are the uh, you know how how old the sun is, how long the sun has been providing a habitable ecosystem, uh, you know all of these different variables, and tried to use that to then calculate how many alien civilizations there are in the galaxy, and just the galaxy as opposed to the universe. Well, you could then extrapolate, you know, based on the number of galaxies, how many aliens there are in the entire universe. Okay. But we don't care about the aliens in other galaxies, though, because they're just too far away. Not, not for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. Right. And what's what's great about the Drake equation is that it is that it breaks up the search for alien life into all of these discrete pieces, and then you can scientifically attempt to start to figure out some of these pieces. So mm-hmm. some of the parts of the Drake equation are like, what percentage of stars have planets? Right. Well, it turns yeah. out they all do, right? <laughs> Pretty much all these the stars that we can see out there have planets. How many of those planets are in the habitable zone? We're starting to get a, an idea yeah. of what percentage of these stars have planets in their habitable zone. Yeah, I read I read something about that 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 number is way higher than anybody thought previously to the recent past. Way higher a uh, number of habitable planets than anyone ever thought. But I mean, you look at a place like the solar system for example, mm-hmm. Venus the Earth and Mars are all within the habitable zone right. of the Sun, okay. a, a region where you can have liquid water form on the surface of a planet. But you can see that it didn't work out so well on Venus. It's, it's working just fine here on Earth, and it didn't work out so well on Mars. One out of a three ain't bad. But you can see that even though the habitable zone might be a fairly wide area in a solar system, there's a lot more specific issues about about the planet, about its atmosphere, its size its interactions with its star that can really define whether or not it's going to have actual liquid water as opposed to mm-hmm. the potential for liquid water. Right. But the, you know, once you get beyond a certain point, then you've got things like the fraction of planets that that actually go on to develop life. We don't know that. Right, there's the potential and then there's the whether the actual And then the fraction of those that go on to develop intelligent life, which once again, we don't mm-hmm. know. You know, 100% of all of the planets that we've seen that go on to, to develop life go on to develop intelligent life. So it's it's very high. Well, if, um, if other aliens tuned into Fox News, they might think we don't have intelligent life either. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Zing. Take oh. that, Fox News. You eat it, Hannity. <laughs> uh, and so then you can talk about the, the number of civilizations that are able to communicate their presence in the universe. And then the kind of sad one, mm-hmm. which is how long these civilizations last until they until they stop communicating right. anymore mm-hmm. and uh, and all of these go into the Drake equation and then you just come up with all kinds. and then the numbers are anywhere between uh, 
one and infinity. Do we know what the number is based on the information we have so far? Do we have a do we have a tentative answer to the Drake equation? Well, I mean, people come up with all kinds of things, right? And they say that they think that maybe there's anywhere of ten thousand in the galaxy that there could be a million in the galaxy that there's probably just one the drake equation the, it gives you all of these variables and you can start to try and crack them one at a time but until we get any other data point all of these estimates are meaningless well, way to and- narrow it down science <laughs> yeah well, well we've created the formula so that once we get the data we can narrow it down now we need to get that data i have a feeling that yeah. aliens will contact us before we figure out the drake equation yeah, exactly. right right <laughs> do you have a formula for the odds yeah, of that happening? yeah the aliens will show up and they'll help us fix our math <laughs> right if you've got to carry the one yeah. the the drake equation is great because at least it gives us it breaks the the a larger question into these sub questions and we can start to chip away at them you know, we, as I said, we're now figuring out the percentage of worlds out there which are habitable. The next big question we're going to want to ask ourselves is what percentage of these have life? And what's amazing is that we actually can answer that question. We can look at worlds with super powerful, as of yet unbuilt telescopes and detect the atmospheres of these worlds. And by looking at the atmosphere of the world, you can tell whether there's life there. So, we are just a few super Hubble Space Telescopes away from starting to crack that question mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And we can even then detect pollution in the atmospheres of those worlds, and that will tell us whether we're looking at advanced civilizations and right. even what stage along that level of advancement they are. So you hear that, hippies? We're broadcasting our presence with this pollution. <laughs> well, here's the crazy part. We've been broadcasting our existence for about 200 million years. The oh. moment that oxygen got rolling in our atmosphere, we've and reached fairly high levels in a, in a way that is really unsustainable unless it's being generated by life. We have been broadcasting this. So when people are worried about, you know, pointing their communications uh, dish up at space and trying to broadcast our existence, and they're worried that they're going to summon the aliens. Right. Any alien that's built a big telescope has known that there's life on Earth for about two hundred million years. So it's that cat is out of the bag. Wow. Mm. They're coming. It's just they're very slow. They, mm-hmm. they yeah. don't have very fast spacecraft. Can you also tell us about the Fermi paradox? So then if we go back and we, we look at these various assumptions and we say that the universe is big. Douglas Adams taught me that. Uh-huh. Right. And that the constituents for life, the, the raw materials for life seems to be everywhere. And as we're starting to find out, there are planets in the habitable zone of their stars uh-huh. everywhere and the universe has been around for a long time and it only took when you look at when you go back to and look at how long it took for life to form on earth it only took us a, you know a few hundred million years from when life was possible to exist on earth to when it did then then it seems that life can form very quickly yeah, Carl uh-huh. Sagan taught me that with his giant calendar on Cosmos. And so now you look at all those numbers, and the conclusion is that life should be everywhere. That life should be forming on tons of worlds, and it should be this amazing Star Trek future uh-huh. where the aliens are showing up, and, they all and kind we're of part humanoid. of the galactic civilization. Yeah. And they're all kind of humanoid, just with different ridges on their different faces. Different ridges on their faces. And each one is like takes a specific part of the human personality and amplifies it. Oh, and some of them are black and white and are internally yeah. conflicted. Right. Yeah, and so and so the question that, that Enrico Fermi asked himself was, where are they? 
That's mm-hmm. the paradox. That's the paradox, which is that if if life can happen everywhere, then then where is it? Why isn't the why isn't there like a interstellar superhighway with just alien civilizations blowing by, kind of right. like doing either drive by shootings or like honking and waving and yeah. asking us to show us their tits and stuff? I'll be back to you pick you up later. <laughs> You're gonna say to yourself, "Well, it's fine. They're really far away." We're here on Earth, and the aliens could be far away, and so they can mm-hmm. never get to us, so that's why. But that actually isn't a great answer, because because once a civilization reaches a certain level of technology, it's relatively straightforward for them to create robotic spacecraft, which could colonize other stars, and once they reach that other star, the, the planets on that star, they manufacture more robots, and then they move to the next star, and they move to the next star. And so people have done the calculations, and it would take anywhere from about one to 10 million years for a civilization only moving at one-tenth the speed of light to completely colonize an entire galaxy. Mm. So so we're not just looking at like alien civilizations you know, appearing at various places within mm. the galaxy and then disappearing again. All it takes is one civilization to have ever arisen in the history of the entire Milky Way, and then it would have colonized the entire galaxy. And the analogy I always use is like, you leave a sandwich out, mm-hmm. you have some bacteria on one corner of that sandwich, you know, that entire sandwich will have bacteria on it, a, you know, a few days later. And so that's the same situation. And we, of course, we may not see their the various evidence of their spaceships and whatever, but it's relatively straightforward for an alien civilization to leave some kind of artifact. I know it feels like it's hard to believe, but maybe we're on the front edge. Maybe it's like the galaxy is waiting for humankind to colonize everything. This is the solution. So there are two solutions to what I consider to be fairly, and, and most people who think about this think about them as, as the, the solutions to the Fermi paradox. Number one, we're the first. And the best. Which is crazy to say that we're the first because... Why? Because we got low self-esteem? But the fact that the universe has been around for 13.8 billion years. We've, our sun has been around for four and a half billion years. What happened in that previous eight billion years? Couldn't any other alien race pull it together to uh, colonize the entire galaxy? And why didn't it happen? Because they're losers. They're couch surfers. Sure. They're not yeah. silver surfers. They're couch surfers. You're describing us. Well, the answer is the is the second part to this. Mm-hmm. So the one is that we're first, and those, so they're not losers. It's we're the first. We're winning this race because we're the only one running this race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like participation medals for us. <laughs> Suck yeah. it, tortoise aliens. Yeah. Only yeah. we're not Usain Bolt and Carl Lewis. We're uh, me and Torin. Yeah, running right. this race, but you win, you win. Yeah, we might win, but you know we're taking our sweet time and <laughs> right. having gonna, a. This is a little tiring to keep going into space, but still nobody's in front of us. I think yep. we're going to win this thing. Yeah. So slow so, and steady, guys. <laughs> slow and steady. So that's that's option one, and and of course that seems ridiculous. Yeah, that okay. that on the hundreds of millions of stars Christian. in our galaxy, mm-hmm. this is the only one that actually ended up forming life. Because, as I mentioned, as soon as life could have formed on Earth, it did. That's mm-hmm. the part that that goes back and makes you kind of go, "Whoa, I don't know here." So that's the first possibility. But someone's also got to win the seven hundred million dollar Powerball in Florida. Not very good odds of that happening either, right? But somebody's got to. No, right. I don't think that's do they no. Because they just draw random numbers, and somebody might not have those numbers. But the second option, and this is and this is the one that's pretty scary, and this is what's known as the Great Filter. 
Ooh. Yeah. And the, and the idea of the great filter is that something causes all alien civilizations, when they've reached a certain level of technology, to be incapable of colonizing the galaxy. Bickering. What about lack of desire? They're all xeno- xenophobes. Yeah, right. why so bother colonizing go, yeah, but, the galaxy? Yeah, but what about, right? Yeah. As I mentioned, your entire universe, your entire galaxy would be colonized in a million years. So yeah. if you may have 99% slackers and 1% right. go-getter alien race. Right. That 1% would colonize the entire galaxy. You know, it's not as if it's a numbers game and you're just like, well, you know, most of them won't and some will, therefore it's not going to happen. No, it's, it, all it takes is one, as I said, one bacteria spore to mm-hmm. land on your sandwich and then your whole sandwich gets colonized. Okay. Or by possibly by robots. Mm-hmm. Or by robots, exactly. Robot bacteria. Robot sandwich. So we have to then look at all of these possibilities and we have to say that there is something that makes this not happen 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so the crazy part about this is that that we can't predict it. Right. If, if we could predict it, then we could prevent it. Therefore, we would go on to colonize the galaxy. But I'll bet you all those aliens tried to predict it too, and it mm. failed. And so it might just be something like there is some kind of event, some technological event that is that is discovered by 100% of, of alien species, like, I don't know, nuclear weaponry or right. some kind of crazy quark, gluon, strange matter event. BTL or, drive. Or, or gray goo. Or gray goo. And as soon as you build some really harmless thing, like a microwave oven, and you happen to have a microwave oven near an iPhone, <laughs> and you turn it on, it turns your entire planet into into marshmallows a soup of particles mm-hmm. yeah right. marshmallows and that every single alien species because the laws of physics are what they are they all of course are going to want to build microwaves and they're all going to want to build iphones and they're going to destroy right. their civilizations the other possibility is that all aliens discover earth and they see us what we've done with it and they go like, oh, oh screw no it. Oh, yeah, but, no 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 but no. again 99 percent of them may yeah. want nothing to do with us but one is like i'll give those guys a shot boom whole whole galaxy colonized my theory is then is the aliens had this same conversation they're like well we better not get to that level then we better not try to colonize the other world we better not try to do anything well but again 99 percent say that one percent goes goes, i'm gonna try to try guys damn this is what damn that one percent yeah the one percent the one (laughs) percent those one percenters ruin the galaxy for all of us and so the point is that we don't even see their failures right this is Uh what 2001 was all about is that we would see this monolith on the moon, and and you could absolutely drop a monolith on the moon, leave it there for billions of years, and it would still be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the and we don't see these structures, we don't see any of these artifacts left by alien civilizations. And maybe if, we haven't been looking in the right places. Maybe they're well, upper butts. But again, once again, the the way an alien, a significantly advanced alien, might make itself be known is to do something like, for example, rearrange the entire galaxy. What? That is completely within the laws of physics for a sufficiently advanced civilization to move stars. Okay. Right? I haven't done this yet. You haven't done this yet. We're well, not sufficiently advanced enough, but okay. I know it's I know you're going to crack it really soon. Okay. Is, is this a, that movie The Fault in Our Stars is about 
Alien then they screwed it up. Stars and, and then they crashed up. them into things. Yeah, so it's this idea called the uh, Shekdar engine, I think it's called. Uh, and and the gist is that you build a huge half dome around your star. And then the star is outputting solar energy. And that solar energy is bouncing off of this dome. And it's and the dome is attracting the star with gravity. But also the energy is, flow, is, is also pushing away the dome. And so the star acts like its own thruster. Oh. And is and it's pushing itself around the galaxy. And again, it would take you maybe 10, 20 million years to move stars pretty significantly. After a billion years, you could have rearranged most of your galaxy into whatever shape you wanted. But what would be the point of that? Art. <laughs> Why do we want more energy? It turns out that we're going to want more and more energy. It turns out that we're not happy to just have our houses be the temperature that they come. We want to change the temperature so that they're cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. That that we find purposes for energy. Like, think about mm-hmm. your computer, mm-hmm. right? You use your computer, use massive amounts of processing power for all kinds of ridiculous Facebook-type activities. Lolcats. Mm-hmm. Lolcats, right? Do you, think, do you think, man, the Apollo program would love the processing power on your computer mm-hmm. and i'm sure they would have cried to know that what the kinds of, <laughs> of uh, stuff you were looking at hey and, some of those guys are st- uh, still alive and i think i believe they're at home crying right now they're crying yeah. right now <laughs> they even hear us recording this podcast yeah. <laughs> when this could be this podcast's processing power could be landing a spacecraft on the moon so right. this is the fermi paradox this is the fermi paradox and the great filter which is which is your best idea for why there are no aliens is wrong. <laughs> it's haunting because it means that if it's true, it means that we are we are careening towards our inevitable the destru- demise. The, the, yeah. the demise of our civilization, and it is impossible for us to predict and impossible for us to prevent. So that guy with the sign saying the end is nigh, he's totally right. He's an alien. Oh. Alan Moore is an alien who's sent to warn us through the Watchmen comic book about our impending doom and and bringing our space octopi to Earth. If an alien could come to warn us, then that means that some aliens could travel between planets. That means that the entire galaxy would be colonized. So no, it's, it's it's not an alien. Well, Alan Moore acts like an alien often enough. It doesn't matter. Unless he has colonized the entire galaxy and we're seeing him rearrange <laughs> the stars to his whim, he's not an alien. You see? It's, That's it, why he became a writer, so he could do that. See, so now, every time, every time you wonder, like, man, is that guy an alien? Just run that scenario in your head. And you should reach the logical conclusion that no, he is not an alien. I think that all the aliens are rock people. Ah. And so when an asteroid goes by, oh, colonized... Yeah. Yeah. We got colonized. And I can know, like I know right now, people listening to this podcast, they got a zillion yeah buts right now, mm-hmm. and I I can hear them crying out <laughs> right Post now. your yeah buts on our Facebook Post page. Post your yeah buts on the Facebook page. Go you're going to say things like, yeah, but maybe they just don't want to come here because they want to observe us from afar. Fine. Maybe, again, 99% of them right. don't mm-hmm. want to, and 1%, 1, 1 wants to risk it. Wants to push it. Wants to wants to violate the prime directive. Impulsive, um, right. and so that alien would be here. Kirk did it all in, the time, stealing our women and uh, right. and putting monoliths everywhere. All I know is we gotta get all of our eggs out of this one basket on Earth before horrible things happen. And I'm sure that's what all the other ones said too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe and that's what caused it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe that's what causes it. Oops. Time for a pop quiz. All right. Now, Doctor Joseph Allen Hynek 
was a United States astronomer, professor, and scientific advisor to UFO studies undertaken by the U.S. Air Force under Project Sign. And also the inventor of the turtleneck sweater. <laughs> the high neck, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Project Grudge and Project Blue Book. And high neck scale, he devised a uh, classification uh, for UFO sightings. Ooh. So, I will give you the description mm-hmm. of a UFO sighting. Or some kind of encounter, some kind of close-ish encounter uh-huh. of some kind, uh-huh. and you tell me where you think it falls on the high neck scale. And the first question is, question number zero, how high does the scale go up to? I think uh, random number scales generally go to seven. So I'm going to go with seven kinds of encounters. I'm going to say five. Fraser, do you have, a, do you have an answer? I'm going to say three. It is seven. Wow! What? I know they, why they always pick seven, but we've done a lot of lists on this show, <laughs> yep. and most of them seem to have seven for some reason. First close encounter of some kind. This is a UFO encounter in which an animated creature is present. These include oh. humanoids, robots, and humans who seem to be occupants or pilots of a UFO. What kind of encounter is this? Well, this sounds exactly like uh, the plot of E.T., so that involves Spielberg, that uh, and he had something to do with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Something to do with. So I'm going to go with Third Kind. I'm going to say Second, because it's not as much as what happened in Third Kind. Mm-hmm. When does the probing happen? <laughs> Is that the Third Kind? The Second Kind? That sounds like a Second Kind. Kevin has two points. It is Whoa, the Third Kind. Oh, yeah! The Spielberg conundrum. All right, in this next encounter... Mm-hmm. Now, wait, does the scale go up? Or down? The third The more close the encounter, the the higher higher the number. number. Okay. Okay. All All right. right. Question B. Visual sightings of an unidentified flying object seemingly less than 500 feet away that show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. Well, that's very specific. That that would be be two then. Because I think one would be even further away and you can't really tell. And so two is closer. And three is there's an actual alien. Uh, So I'm going to say two. But it says less than 500 yards? Is that what it says? Less than 500 feet away. 500 feet? Mm. That show an appreciable angular extension and considerable detail. And this is just the ship. It's an unidentified flying object. Yeah, oh, yeah that sounds like a two. Count. Yeah, got to go with the two. Oh, you are all wrong. It is a close encounter of the first kind. Ah, wow. there you go. So there's a, an in-betweener, a tweener. Number C. I know C is not a number. <laughs> It's okay, you started with zero. (laughs) A UFO event that involves direct communication between aliens and humans. A direct communication, uh, uh, we don't say what form. It could be like, you know, Morse code, tappity-tappity-tap. It could be arm wrestling. Do, 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 do. I would say that's not direct communication, though. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, fifth kind. Yeah, that's my, I agree with that. I'm going to go for two. Kevin has three points. Wow, yeah. It is the fifth kind. Uh huh. Death of a human or animal associated with a UFO sighting. Oh. Death of a human or animal associated with a sighting. Mm-hmm. Now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, that feels like it's not even on the scale. Well, this this guy has yeah, some very be. specific, like the thing about the, the ship must be angular. Uh, yeah. There must be a death associated with it. Yeah, I just saw, like, I just saw a, a flying saw. It was very round. Oh, that's that's out. You didn't yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, not on the yeah, list. Not on the list. I'm going to go with fourth kind. I'm going to say two. This is the one that's... Uh, you've seen the You've seen the ship at a one, but the two is like, and also cows died. Six. Uh-huh. 
Fraser gets a point. Ah, yeah, there you go. It is People the sixth die time. here from the aliens. The fifth encounter is communication. The sixth encounter, they kill somebody. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hey, so, we're going to kill you. Hey, it's a fifth kind. I, I mean, feel like wait. this guy has read a lot of sci-fi and watched a lot of Twilight Zone. <laughs> okay. Right? Because there's the, the inevitable someone must die. He's the first of Hollywood who's taught me anything, guy. Next question. The creation of a human-alien hybrid, either by sexual reproduction or by artificial scientific methods. Oh, they kill us and then they help us? <laughs> well, they just, so, there's gotta they're be just different kind. classifications. That's all. If they... this, this has to be the seventh kind. I mean, it doesn't get any higher than humping. This is the, uh, this is the Kirk effect. If it is, there should have been a porno of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind called mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Seventh Kind. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh, a, yeah. a little more scholarly than you give, I give most porn I, writers. I think uh, sex is a lot closer than death So, because uh, you kill somebody from far away, whereas, you know, that long-range insemination is a little more difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we try once in a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to agree, seven. Seven, yeah. This is as close as he could imagine. Yeah, yes. they're actually it is, inside, it is inside the closest. You, yeah. That is true. It is, is the, the seventh close, kind. It's the closest encounter. Now, uh, that, sec- that's what you call the porno. The closest encounter. Closest encounter of the seventh kind? No, the closest Just encounter. the closest of the, encounter yeah. of the alien kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the second kind is a UFO event in which a physical effect is alleged. Mm-hmm. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device. Oh, that's close encounter of the third kind when the thing flies over his truck and his truck dies. <laughs> that was earlier. That was before the end of the movie, though. They right. went right through that all of second. those first three. Yeah. Well, how come they didn't go all the way to seven? I don't know. They should have. <laughs> Because we would know a lot more about this, I think. Yeah, it should have a number of sequels. Close Encounters of the Fourth, fourth kind, kind, Close Encounters of the Fifth kind. kind. Yeah, there could have been less mashed potato sculpting and more <laughs> alien hybrids. Yeah. And then the fourth kind, which I didn't mention, was a uh, human is abducted by a UFO or okay. occupants. Okay. So let's move now to that. Because uh, that's the probing So section. why is it abduction and not just... Invitation? Invitation yeah. to go on a trip. You yeah. want to make up your your own uh, close encounter list, don't you? I would think that aliens would be advanced enough to yeah. understand the concept of consent. Yeah, I hey, think, I think it's time for a new one that that the old list, like they've they've redefined the uh, the the scale for earthquakes and right. tornadoes and right. hurricanes. I think it's time to redefine the scale of of alien encounters. Well, what I didn't mention is that uh, close encounter of the third kind has a sub list. That was created by a guy named Bloker. Okay. And that was six subtypes. Uh, an, alien, an entity is observed only inside the UFO. B, an entity is observed inside and outside the UFO. C, an entity is, is observed near to UFO but not going in or out. D, an entity is observed. No UFOs are seen by the observer, but UFO activity has been reported in the area and at about the same time. Okay. E, an entity is observed, but no UFOs are seen, and no UFO activity has been reported in the area at that time. And F, no entity or UFOs are observed, but the subject experiences some kind of intelligent communication, quote unquote. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he puts on a tinfoil hat right yeah, afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So still not... What I would describe as the perfect list of close encounters. Right. We're not going to have one until we actually have an actual encounter, because mm-hmm. all of none of these are confirmed. They're all just things that we didn't see and people hallucinating yeah. or something like that. So, in the science, uh, the science of alien abduction experience. Oh. Thanks to our researcher Corey for this. Well, I uh, the only thing I know about alien abduction is uh, from uh, a number of great philosophers named the Kids in the Hall. Right. Who had a documentary they shot? Yes, 
about aliens with penis-shaped heads who uh, were on probing assignments who decided that their great leader uh, didn't really have a plan of action. He was just some kind of ass freak. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Didn't their research indicate that like one in ten subjects uh, Liked it. enjoyed it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, the exact words were, all we've figured out over all these years is that one in ten doesn't seem to mind so much. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So this is from Scientific American. Recent research by Harvard University psychologist shows Harvard. that some fantasies are indistinguishable from reality, and they can be just as traumatic. Okay. Mm-hmm. The scientists reported the results of a study of claimed alien abductees. Mm-hmm. They measured heart rate, skin conductance, and electromyographic responses in the eyebrow muscle of the study participants as they relived their experiences through script-driven imagery. Okay. The abductees' responses were comparable to those of post-traumatic stress disorder patients who had listened to scripts of their actual traumatic experiences. Okay. The abduction study was initiated as a control in a larger investigation of memories of sexual abuse. In his book, Remembering Trauma, Richard McNally sifts through cases using, quote-unquote, recovered memory, in which some people try to recover lost memories of childhood sexual molestation through hypnosis Mm -hmm. and guided imagery. Uh Uh-huh. Instead... False memories of abuse that never happened are created. Correct. The fact that people who believe they have been abducted by space aliens respond like PTSD patients to audio taped scripts describing their alleged abductions underscores the power of belief to drive a physiology consistent with actual traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. The most likely explanation for alien abductions is sleep paralysis and hypnopompic hallucinations. Call back to our sleep disorders episode. Mm, yeah. Temporary paralysis is often accompanied by visual and auditory hallucinations and sometimes sexual fantasies. Mm, Abduct- that one in ten. Abductees were much more prone to exhibit false recall and false recognition in the lab than were control subjects. The vividness of a traumatic memory cannot be taken as evidence of its authenticity. Right, just because you have a great imagination doesn't mean that it's any more true. Who mm-hmm. here has been abducted by aliens? Uh, not I. Nope. Not even in a fantasy. Not even in a hypnopompic... I, I, I get sleep paralysis, though. Right. Mm. Right? I used to get that, as, yeah. as I mentioned on the uh, sleep, sleep disorders, disorders episode. episode. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so I get I get my share of sleep paralysis, you know, maybe once a month or so. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is that once I figured out what it was, mm-hmm. I have no fear of it. Right. Or boredom. So I'm like, oh, great. I'm this is sleep paralyzed again. right now. Uh-huh. I wish I could read a book, but I can't because I can't move. So, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> And how long does it last for? Well, who knows? I mean, it feels yeah. like it lasts forever, but yeah. you don't right. you really probably only last for seconds. And do you ever have the sense that somebody is like coming in through a window or there's like no. an intruder in the house and stuff like that? Because no. I used to I used to I haven't had sleep paralysis for years, but when that happened, that was exactly what my symptoms were. Oh, wow. That yeah. you had this this uh, somebody was in the house and somebody was trying to get in and you couldn't move and I couldn't move. It's like a horror movie. It is yeah. like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for me, a very boring horror movie. So I would like to move on to a few notable types of aliens mm-hmm. that okay. are reported both in abduction stories and in popular culture. So these are heavily air quoted types, as yes. in they're theoretical. So we'll start off with little green men. All right, these are the soldiers that uh, from the Toy Story movies, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, a famous 1955 UFO close encounter, a case on the Sutton family farm in Kentucky, helped establish this image in the public's mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, This encounter was known as the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, also known as the Hop 
Atkinsville Goblins case or the Kelly Green Men case. Mm -hmm. They're described as around three feet tall, silvery in color, or wearing something metallic, with upright pointed ears, thin limbs observed in a state of atrophy, and long arms and claw-like hands or talons. Dangerous. The encounter was basically this. Billy Ray. Mm -hmm. Cyrus. (laughs) uh, Kelly, I Mm -hmm. believe. Uh, saw lights in the sky and started telling his family and friends there was a flying saucer. Got it. Everyone started hearing weird noises in the woods, and a creature emerged. Uh, a little a call back to our mass hysteria episode, perhaps? Which, yeah, which they then shot at with their rifles and shotguns. Wow. Uh, the creature fled, but suddenly the house was besieged with more creatures looking in windows and scurrying on the roof. Got it. So Little Green Men portrayed in Marvel Comics as the Skrulls. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Shapeshifters. Right. They're not so much little anymore, it seems, but I yeah. remember Some in, actually quite back huge. in the day they were actually fairly small. The uh, the first Quasar ever discovered was called LGM and then some numeric designation. Oh. And they did that on purpose because it was uh, Little Green Men. Little Green Men. Yeah. Nice. Oh, okay. Quasar. I like it. Uh, the Great Gazoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Little Green Man. Uh, the 1970s sci-fi TV series UFO, the alien's uh, green look, is shown to be from the oxygenated fluid used to cushion their bodies during months of faster-than-light travel. Oh, well, that's, a, that's kind science-ish. of... Science-ish. Oh, that's that's, that's science-ish. hard on the body. Then there's the reptilians. Oh, these are the ones that are in disguise and are running the country, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. As <laughs> per the uh, crackpot British author uh, David Icke. Mm-hmm. Often abducting humans as a slave race or as a food source. Got it. Because they're reptiles and we don't like reptiles. Yeah, who likes them? They got nasty, sharp, pointy teeth. Uh, above top secret, a large conspiracy site is a good source for people who actually believe these creatures exist and are behind global conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Above top secret. Yeah. Mm. Yes, author David Icke introduced the reptoid hypothesis in his 1999 book, The Biggest Secret, the book that will change the world. Yeah. And it did change the world. There was less paper for other books. Mm -hmm. And so he's pulled back the curtain on these reptilians who control everything but are in disguise and abduct abduct people for either food source or slave race. And yet I'm guessing that he has not disappeared. He reveals Uh the people who control the world are reptilians from the star system Alpha Draconis. Mm -hmm. Of course. Because they speak Latin there. And I'm sure he's got tons of evidence for that. Yep. They have a powerful hypnotic stare. Lots of evidence for that, too. Their hybrid DNA allows them to shapeshift when they consume human blood. They went right to the seventh kind, didn't they? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. George W. Bush and Elizabeth II and many other world leaders are among their ranks. Mm -hmm. They came specifically for monatomic gold. A mineral that Ike says can increase the carrying capacity of the nervous system 10,000-fold. Okay. After ingesting it, the reptilians can process vast amounts of information, speed up transdimensional travel, mm-hmm. and shapeshift from reptilian to human form. So doesn't this ask a few questions about George Bush, then? About being able to sort of speed up all of that neural processes? Yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, he, he couldn't it, find uh, any? Fool me once. Uh, fool, well, the, the, the thing is, you shouldn't fool people. <laughs> this is the ingenious That's, part of the reptilians. You should have seen him before he consumed that human blood in monoatomic <laughs> uh, gold. No, no, this, uh, well, when did he get elected? He got elected in, uh, you know, 2000, right? His book came out in 99. They're like... George, you got to dial it back a notch. We yeah. can't right. seem like we're yeah, an alien race yeah. that is taking over the world from uh, from our disguised uh, you know, sub race. He's sub-culture. a method actor, and he happens to think humans are all total idiots. Yeah. So he's just playing the part. Marvel's Chitauri aliens 
as seen in the Avengers movie, are partly based on Ike's theories. I'm totally fine with this in the fantasy world. Well, in sci-fi, movies yeah. Movies in sci-fi, that's yeah. great. But this is absolute nonsense. Like, and he, he means it. Like, and there are so many people on the internet who literally think that world leaders are reptilian, shape-shifting aliens. I'm not convinced that he means it or believes it. Okay, so you think he's doing it just to make money off yeah. of the people who do? So he's, yeah. he's a, he's a, he's a okay. sci-fi author, and uh, he's created some wacky system, and a bunch of people bought in and jumped in whole hog. And Sounds maybe... like a religion that was created by a science fiction author. I was about to say, never heard of that before. Dianetics. Uh, of course, reptilians are portrayed in the TV series V. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who remembers this? I, I totally remember it. The first I love, one. Yeah, the first one I quite liked. Oh, there was a second one. Because it, well, it started out as an event uh, miniseries. Oh, right. And then it went into a full series. Yeah, but when did it come out? out? Way oh, before like, 1999. Right. Way before 1999. So. Came out in 1983. Ike is literally telling the story of V. Mm-hmm. So he's also but, a shitty science fiction author. <laughs> he's stealing V. And last but certainly not least, the mm-hmm. Greys. The Greys. The Grey aliens. These aliens are reported as sexless humanoid beings with smooth gray-colored hairless skin, uh-huh. stand uh, two to four feet tall, mm-hmm. with a head disproportionately larger than their body, yep. and large black eyes, a slit for a mouth, and only small orifices for ears and nostrils. Right. These are the uh, close encounters of the third kind aliens. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, X-Files, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and the movie Communion. I like them in Stargate. Oh. The, mm-hmm. the Greys were in Stargate, and they oh. they also happened to be the Asgardian gods. The Greys? So Thor was a Grey? Th- Thor was a Grey, yeah. In in Stargate? In the Stargate that... universe, yeah. What? Oh. Crazy. Yeah. The Grey image may have originated with a 1960s book illustrating a conjecture of what humans might evolve into in a million years. In large brain, weakened body, lacking sexual traits, the image began showing up in UFO reports not long after it entered the media. Mm-hmm. Shocking. So ironically that the person who drew it actually suggested that this could be humankind in some distant future, and then people went, these are what aliens look like. Right. The first yeah. appearance of aliens meaning this description in Western pop culture was an episode of The Outer Limits titled The Bolero Shield, which aired in 1964. Bolero. Ooh. Yeah, this this whole uh, enters popular culture and then people start seeing it thing. Um, Carl Sagan talked about it in the Demon Haunted World. Mm-hmm. And before we had the whole flying saucer alien uh, thing, yep. people would see demons right. instead when they would kind of have these weird hallucinations and see things and people and figures. And they were much more religious and much less believing in science. Right. And it wasn't just some people would say, oh, that's because they're interpreting aliens as demons. The demons would come to them and like when they would talk, they would say things like, you know, you're sinful and horrible and you're going to burn in hell and we're going to, you know, God hates you and stuff and I'm going to eat your soul. And then as soon as it switched over to seeing aliens instead, because that was what was in the zeitgeist of the times, the pop culture, they would hear, oh, you're on your road to destroy yourselves. You must love each other in peace and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's all this psychological stuff explaining exactly why people see this stuff and why they see certain types of aliens Mm -hmm. what's interesting is that now that we've got more cellular phones everyone's got a camera now yeah we're seeing less ufo uh, sightings than ever before grays are the most commonly included in alien abduction claims making up more than 40 percent of cases in north america now i'd like to mention a few notable alien abduction stories okay I'm going to start with you, Kevin. When were you abducted, Kevin? <laughs> your, September your 1961. When do we expect Whoa. you back? In New Hampshire. <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill 
were driving home from their vacation in Canada. Betty and Barney? They're like Flint- Flintstone characters come to life. <laughs> hey, hey, Betty. Yeah, they were coming home from Canada in their car that they powered with their feet. Yeah. <laughs> They saw what they first assumed was a shooting star. Right. And by that, I, I expect they mean a star that was shooting at them. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Uh, until it moved upward. The two of them got out of the car for a closer look, and the UFO veered towards them. The two rushed back to the car, drove off, but this wasn't the end of their experience. They claimed to have lost two hours they cannot account for. Right. They recalled repressed memories of an abduction while they were hypnotized, and both claimed that their watches stopped after the incident. Right. Again, with the hypnotism made-up stories. You know how I lose two hours when I stop on the side of the road with a special lady friend? Oh, I see. <laughs> in a way that maybe in the you press... You fall asleep. I don't want to... You fall asleep. Listen to podcasts. Well, eventually. Yeah. Eventually fall asleep. You're listening to Caustic Soda. Yeah. 1975, Arizona. Travis Walton is an American logger who was allegedly abducted by a UFO while working with a logging crew in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. Okay. Walton could not be found, but appeared after a five-day search. Well... The Walton case received mainstream publicity and remains one of the best-known instances of alleged alien abduction. It is, furthermore, one of the very few alleged alien abduction cases with some corroborative eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. Rogers' crew were administered polygraph examinations administered by an Arizona Department of Public Safety employee. The examiner concluded that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO. Sure. Right. They it, saw an object they believed to be a UFO. Right. They are truthful in that regard. If the UFO was fake, these men had no prior knowledge of it. Uh A well-known UFO debunker argued that there was a strong financial motive to the entire affair. Hmm. Others also noted that the UFO incident was broadcast just a few weeks before Walton's disappearance. This made-for-television film was a fictionalized account of the Hill abduction, which we just referenced. Right. Hmm. It's possible that Walton had been inspired by the program to concoct the story. In 1978... Walton published The Walton Experience, in which he outlined his own narrative of the event and its aftermath. In 1993, Walton's book was adapted into a film, Fire in the Sky. You have seen this, Joe. I have seen this. I've seen this. I didn't really care for it. What did you think, Fraser? I recall nothing. Wow. <laughs> it's as if it's as did if you lose two, two hours, hours of my time <laughs> yeah, that I can't account for. But I do uh-huh. know that I remember seeing the ending credits of Fire in the Sky. I remember the aliens were not quite grays, but kind of grayish and had like a creepy, uh, like their eyes were smaller. Right. And they had a creepy look about them. Uh, I like the design of the aliens. Right. They were a little yeah. more sinister than you usually get in the grays. 1986, New York. Author Whitley Strieber asserts that he was abducted from his cabin by non-human beings. It's amazing how all these authors get abducted by aliens. <laughs> Probably yes. when their careers are flagging, maybe. Maybe. Eh, uh-huh. you know. Why do you have to maybe. be so cynical? <laughs> he wrote about this experience and related experiences in Communion, 1987, his first non-fiction book. Ah. I, had, I had cynicism, in answer to Fraser's question, I had cynicism uh, implanted in me by aliens through my right. anus. That's right. Yeah. An alien cynical hybrid. Now that something's been up there, I don't believe nothing. <laughs> Although the book is perceived generally as an account of alien abduction, Strieber draws no conclusions about the identity of his alleged abductors. He refers Ooh. to the beings as the visitors. I'm not saying name. it's aliens, but yeah. it's aliens. But it's aliens. Mm-hmm. A name chosen to be as neutral as possible to entertain the possibility that they are not extraterrestrials and may instead exist in his mind. Additional visitor-themed writings include a screenplay for the 1989 film Communion, starring Christopher Walken as Strieber. Strieber has stated that he was dissatisfied with the film, which utilized scenes of improvised dialogue and includes themes not present in his books. That's not how it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) I watched the film Communion 
this past week. If this movie didn't have Christopher Walken in it, it would be unwatchable. Wow. It was weird. It was supposed to be creepy. And then it just got silly. Oh, okay. Like, there's a dance number at the end. There's a dance Where Christopher number? Walken is dancing with the aliens. You What? Yeah. I gotta see this video now. That, this has that to close be encounter YouTube, the sixth right? kind. No, uh, close encounter the eighth kind. Well, eighth the dance, dance after dance number? after after humping and creating a human alien hybrid, then you dance. And there's all this stuff in the middle about you know where he goes to a cabin with his family and he gets abducted and they do something to his mind. Right. And the character's name is Whitley Strieber in the in the movie and everything. Okay. Yeah. Um. And there's two different kinds of aliens. And, um, oh gosh, it's just so weird. I don't know what else to say about it, really. It sounds... Period. It sounds like you've said enough. <laughs> yeah. I said too much. You said, you said too much. You said, you said unwatchable without Christopher Walken. That's all we needed. It conquered the world and left me blue. It conquered my world when it got you. My world was a happy world Till it came around It just opened its mouth And gulped you down You're somewhere inside it There's no doubt No power on earth Can get you out my world is a lonely world What can I do? It conquered my world When it ate you it there's no doubt no power on earth can get you out my world is a lonely world what can i do it conquered my world when it ate Public service announcement, question mark? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think we should speak all of our punctuation from now on, period. This comes from insurance, the Insurance Consumer Guide. Okay. Just in case you were worried about being abducted by aliens, the St. Lawrence Agency offers UFO abduction insurance. Oh. For a lifetime premium of $19.95 What a, a month. bargain! <laughs> you will receive... A gold personalized policy, frequent flyer endorsement, and a claim form which requires a signature of an onboard alien. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> if you're this, a, this, sounds this is like a doctor's scam. note. This sounds less scam and more just kind of fun. If you are able to prove that you have been abducted by aliens, you will be paid $1 per year for 10 million years. Right. Or until you die, whichever comes first. Totally worth okay. it. Payout amount is double if the policyholder has an alien child or is eaten by aliens. Sure. Oh. The St. Lawrence Agency has paid out two claims in its 23-year history, both in New York State. Famous policyholders include actress Shirley MacLaine and uh-huh. a Harvard professor who has written extensively on aliens. And I, I want to hear more about the two claims they've paid out. Uh, I couldn't find any information on that. Oh, uh, they probably had a gag order or something. <laughs> Go, yeah. That's right. That's right. I just want to know whether they were eaten by aliens or had a baby with an alien. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, the Heaven's Gate religious group, call back to our cults episode. Oh, they all had policies. Oh, the, it broke the bank. They had purchased alien abduction insurance before their mass suicide. Probably thinking suckers. Does that invalidate the policy, though? If you kill yourself, yeah. Before the alien abduction. Yeah. Yeah, I would think yeah. so. I would think so. Well, it doesn't matter. You only get paid a dollar a year until you die. Like, right. and you're dead. So. Well, this was actually a different company altogether. Oh, oh okay. The insurance company, London brokerage Goodfellow Rebecca Ingrams Pearson, or GRIP, uh-huh. stopped offering alien abduction insurance after the suicide, having sold the policy to about 4,000 people, mostly in England and the U.S., at a cost of roughly $155 a year, the policy would pay about $160,000 to someone who could show that they had been abducted by a being who was not from Earth. I don't exactly know the way insurance math works, but that's pretty much every 1,000 people that pay for them to break even is about one person they have to pay out to, not including all their overhead and stuff. That's Those are pretty high odds to me. Uh, one in a thousand people. I think that, that sounds like a really good business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a solid business model. Yeah, because there's no evidence of any alien yeah. abduction or visitation ever. And so you really just could take that money and just do whatever you want with it. Hey, listen, I would pay 160000 I don't have $160,000, but if I was making it from this scam and all of a sudden aliens showed up, I would happily pay that out. Right. Yay, yeah. aliens, we got evidence. It's worth it for me to lose my yeah. scam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the payment would double if the insured person was impregnated during the event. Oh, another Seventh one. kind. Mm, yep. Yeah. Men really... were also able to purchase the impregnation insurance for protection right. against the unknown capabilities of alien technology. Do right, we get a discount, though? <laughs> do we get a discount? What do, what do we term as impregnation? If they implant... Uh, a chest burster in me is that yeah. impregnation? I think, I think so. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think okay. so. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know that's pretty traumatic. I think you yeah. should be paid out the full amount. Yeah, double indemnity. <sighs> oh, this is that's a good movie crossover double indemnity and Alien. Yeah, TM. Oh, you baby, do it. <laughs> I don't think we can have an Aliens episode without talking about the Roswell incident. Could we try? <laughs> Summer, nineteen forty-seven. An airborne object crashed on a ranch near Roswell, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government has disclosed that the incident involved a secret U.S. military Air Force surveillance balloon, although some media at the time reported that the object was actually a flying saucer containing extraterrestrial life. Mm -hmm. Around the time of the incident, the United States Armed Forces recovered debris near Roswell from the crash of an experimental high-altitude surveillance balloon belonging to what was then a classified program named Mogul. Mogul. That does sound like an alien's name, though. Right. Does sound I like am Mogul. Yeah. Many UFO proponents maintain instead that an alien craft was found, its occupants were captured, and that the military engaged in a massive cover-up. The Roswell incident has turned into a widely known pop culture phenomenon, making the name Roswell synonymous with UFOs. 
Roswell has become the most publicized of all alleged UFO incidents. Right. And why? Why is that? It was basically that a, a, a an experimental balloon crashed, mm-hmm. and they had a photo of it with some people, and went in the newspapers, and then the media ran with it. The Air Force has since released all kinds of information, explained it. Yeah. yeah. Too little, too late. Yeah, well, that's the problem, is that you have them say, top secret, can't say a thing, and then like 40 years later, they go, listen... Here's what actually happened. It yeah. was kind of like, they're going, you've had 40 years to concoct a likely story. Yeah. All right, let's talk about alien invasions. Okay. Are these alien invaders coming to take our resources? Yes. Are they coming to eat us? Seems like a long way to go. Like, we must be a delicacy. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are almost to the point now where we're growing, like, steak in labs, right? And soon our technology is going to advance where we'll be able to have, like, huge factories just like printing out whatever kind of food we want. Well, here's the thing. If they're not coming to eat us, why do they have the cookbook? They, how to cook. How humans? to, to ser- cook for how to serve man? 40 to serve humans. Man. Right, yeah. yes. No, humans, it's a cookbook. We plan to treat you like gods. You made Surak the preparer cry. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any resources on Earth that aliens couldn't find closer to home? Yes, unobtainium. That gold, that gold that the reptilians the, want? The monatomic gold. The monatomic gold, yeah, I guess that might be. Oh, human fear. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Aliens feed on human fear. Yep. You can't get that anywhere else but right here. Mm-hmm. We, are mm-hmm. the, we are the most furious of all species Listen, in the galaxy. Listen, if, if reptilians actually fed on human fear, wouldn't they just uh, hang out at carnivals at the Haunted House ride? <laughs> right? like that's it. where they get the most human fear all at once. Ooh, maybe maybe aliens are making the Paranormal movie series. Oh, the Paranormal aliens, Activity. Yeah, Paranormal Activity. Aliens are producers. making horror movies about the supernatural. Uh-huh. To they feed go. on our fear. To feed on our fear. Mm-hmm. They kind of hang out in the back of the, the theater drooling. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah. good stuff. Pure, uncut fear. Would aliens invade Earth for religious reasons? I would say doubtful, but then, of course, we've done it so many times. Sure. We used to justify just about any kind of activity on Earth. Frederick Pohl was a science fiction author and wrote this series, and and the idea was that essentially the some futuristic civilization wouldn't want to deal with any competitors, and so they would they would send out the robotic spacecraft to scour planets clear of life and so this is again back to that answer of the great filter mm-hmm. which is that maybe once we reach a certain level of of advancement the berserker probes will show up oh scour a planet free of life mm-hmm. then when the aliens make it to this corner of the galaxy it'll be wide open spaces and right and it is if no one ever lived there and they can just move in it'd be basically the alien version of smallpox blankets Oh, wow, yeah. When the uh, Europeans came to North America and they looked around at these lovely homes and empty places. And, vast and thought, tracts of land. Yeah, vast tracts of land. These are all wide open spaces that we can move into. But it, but of course, there used to be 100 million people living there. Yeah, there's some pesky inhabitants. Just extermination, genocide, pure yeah. and simple. Genocide, yeah. You just wipe them out so that you don't even have to have complicated peace treaties. You just... You just move in. It's yeah. okay when the when the probe lands on Earth. It's going to get damaged and meet a young boy, and it's going to ah. realize that it's not a gun, and uh, oh, we'll all be okay. Yeah. Iron Giant reference. I don't want to spoil it, but I highly recommend 
if you play video games that you play the Mass Effect series. Yes. Because it deals with these topics better than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, that's true. Best science fiction movie I've ever played. Ha ha! Oh, that should be on the poster. Is it all robots or are there robots and aliens together? If you don't want to get spoiled by Mass Effect, now's your chance, but you've had literally 10 years. Seven seven years. There is a series of, of artifact space stations and transportation network that is that allows you to move quickly throughout the galaxy and mm-hmm. so when intelligent alien races appear they move to these places because they're the best places to live and every couple of million years the reapers show up and scour the galaxy Ooh, and all the they reapers. do is they just follow the highways uh-huh. that they built right they're, they're traps and so everyone just shows up hangs out at these places the reapers flow through they kill everything take all their stuff and then they move back outside the galaxy and wait for new civilizations to appear and to move to these oh. these prime spots of real estate so they're like the orkin man of the galaxy yeah exterminating us pests yeah mm-hmm. And your job is to stop them. So why do they call it Mass Effect? Why don't they just call it Pests Unite or something? <laughs> Mass Effect has to deal with uh, the way that you get around the galaxy and the, the special extra science-y thing that's not real that allows a lot of the stuff to happen. Well, it's the gift from the Reapers to allow you to make your way right. to mm-hmm. the places where you're going to get reaped. Mm-hmm. Mm. Got it. Why scour every corner of the galaxy? You make the scout the people that you want to scour show up to the place where it's most convenient for you yeah yeah, yeah. needs to pick them all up like uh ant mo- uh ant hotels or- yeah, yeah or, or yeah. mouse traps with pieces of cheese on them it's a great but it's great on on so many levels another uh suggestion as to why aliens might invade earth is uh slavery oh of course because they can't slave build the human robots race. come on mm-hmm. yeah they send their robot slaves to enslave us yeah <laughs> yeah they're they're efficient, effective, self-replicating robot slaves that don't that don't need hunger, and they make their own power, and they build more of themselves wherever they go, and obey unquestioningly, and obey unquestioning their and, orders, and don't demand to watch The Simpsons once in a while. I think what you guys have forgotten <laughs> yes. is that they feed on human fear, so I can't get that from a robot. They could program fear into a robot. Yeah, thousands of fears per second. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, multi-core fear processors. Oh yeah. man! What about aliens coming to invade Earth for sex? Now that okay, we're pretty good at that. No robot can satisfy scratch that itch. That's not true at all. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> oh, I dream of future sex bots, man. Have you done a show on that yet? Future sex bots? No. Do I get to do the research? Yes, you do. Awesome. <laughs> But I would think that uh, any aliens that come to Earth would probably be biologically incompatible in that regard. Although, unless it's just like porn. But here's the thing: like, imagine they, that we are just the came ones... to Earth to masturbate. Imagine Maybe they're coming to Earth it, masturbate. That's what to makes it a thrill. Bugs. Imagine that we are the alien race that's yeah. winning the race. That we're ahead of everybody else. Yeah. So when we will be the first race to colonize the far corners of the galaxy in ten million years. Or so. We're yeah. gonna go onto a distant planet and have sex with their alien sheep. Well, aren't we gonna try? Well, we're gonna be orbiting I mean, them, right? In our cloak ships, looking down, watching their broadcast, and it, and again, ninety nine percent might say no, but at least one percent is gonna go. I wonder what it's like to fuck that. Yes, exactly. That's what people would do. It's going to happen. That's what and we would do. And then you will end up with an entire universe, entire galaxy, completely colonized by horny aliens. Need I bring up a precedent? <laughs> Smallpox blankets and Métis people. Right. Huh? We tried to kill them and then went, mm, those ones didn't die. Let's fuck them. Intergalactic STIs. <laughs> 
<laughs> is that the uh, propulsion engine? Oh, my God. <laughs> Turn on the STI drive. Yeah. <laughs> I got a bad case of the black holes, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, would aliens invade for fun? For recreation? Yeah, totally. It's their new video game. Yeah. Uh, they would actually have video games. They, like predators, that's, oh, right? that's where they are. That's where they are. They all invented their own virtual worlds. And they're all just playing World of Warcraft and not going anywhere. Yeah. They're all yeah. in the Matrix. Oh, mm. right. Yeah. yeah, that one's pretty compelling. I like the idea that it's like an like Ender's Game. Spoiler alert for Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. But uh, the aliens think they're playing a video game when they come to invade Earth. Mm-hmm. But, but really isn't that Predator, right? The, the plot yeah, of Predator. That too. Yeah, Predator exactly. come, they come for the hunt. And then kind of on the flip side of the one that you mentioned, Fraser, is kind of like the preemptive strike from like the day the Earth stood still kind of a thing. Right. Where they, they see us developing. They don't necessarily want us to want to just kill us, but right. they come with like the warning saying, you guys are jerks and you're gaining, you're about to enter this bigger picture, this bigger galactic picture. Mm-hmm. So you better, you put your guns away. Yeah, you're Otherwise kind of... we will destroy you because we're like the space police. Yeah. Because we've got guns. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and morality, but yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And what we do is we kill anyone who doesn't put their guns away. Especially when our guns couldn't reach them. Like even the nukes that we were developing back when that movie was made. Aliens would be just dropping rocks from space on us to do more damage. Well, that brings us to the next segment, which is what is the best way for an alien to invade or attack the Earth? Okay. You think it's giant rocks. Potential ener- the potential oh, yeah. energy of rocks is so massive, and they could, yeah. they could speed them up to point at us, just shoot us with high-velocity, million-ton hunk of iron that they found out in our asteroid belt. Well, this, I mean, uh, we are mixing in pop culture along the way, right? Yeah. For that theory, for me mm. to bring up one of my favorite alien movies of all time, Starship Troopers. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is supposedly what the bugs from that distant planet are doing, is firing rocks at Earth. Yep. And, uh, and, oh, in the movie, yeah. yeah. In the movie, and crushing uh, Buenos Aires and other populated areas and blah, blah, blah. Makes no sense. I mean, the brilliant part about that movie is that on the surface, you watch the news program and you go, oh, okay, that's what's happening. But on multiple viewings, it sort of raises the question about where's this information coming from? How do these bugs who live on a distant planet who don't seem to have any off-planet travel capabilities, how are they even doing this? And mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And then you realize that it's just, we discovered this planet full of unrecognizable alien creatures and uh, we needed an enemy to uh, attack with our Starship Troopers. So we okay. created the threat. Ah. Is that what's going? Are you saying that the aliens weren't actually making the attacks on Earth? Because that actually yeah. makes sense. Yes, that's what's happening. I don't remember that being actually revealed. No, in it's the... not revealed in the movie. Oh, okay. It's you merely have to intimate it by the fact that these aliens don't have the capacity to travel from planet See, to planet. Yeah. Or fire rocks. In, but Starship Troopers across... was based on a book, was it not? Yeah. yeah. It, the book is quite a bit different. This is what I surmised from having watched the movie a bunch of times because I thought it was so brilliant. And then I got the DVD with the Paul Verhoeven voiceover commentary, uh-huh. and I was proven correct. Oh, wow. That makes me like the movie more. And I kind of liked it anyway, but it had mm, these... I love a- the movie. Because it made no sense that they were on a completely different planet yes. and doing just a physical launch of a thing into the air, and yes. somehow that would then end up on our planet and a whole yes, other solar it's system. it's not possible. Yeah. And that's why every single story, every account of those attacks is told through a news agency. Okay. None of it is done first person. So the mm. evil fascist government government is dropping rocks on its own people in order to whip them up into a fervor to go fight the aliens yeah, because on the only planet. way you can get citizenship is by being in war so they right. got to keep wars going right. to keep but if you can apart. travel into space and you can do that then then redirecting an asteroid or a comet to smash into a planet mm-hmm. is really the best most low energy way you can yeah. get you can do it especially on earth because most of the big cities are on the coast so you drop it into the ocean and you create well, it doesn't giant... matter you drop a 
say, a 10-kilometer asteroid onto the planet. I think, didn't we talk about this? You're raining molten rock on the other side of the planet. You're right. you're boiling the entire atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Call back to our Near-Earth Objects episode, which you were the guest bird on. Yeah. Kerbal Space Program is this, uh, it's basically kind of an orbital maneuvering, launching spaceships and trying to reach other game. planets and stuff. It's yeah, a video yeah. game. I've learned more about space flight from playing Kerbal Space Program than I have being a space reporter for 15 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you play it and you all of a sudden start to get a feeling for how movement in orbital mechanics works when I had really no idea before. And now I feel like I've got the mental shorthand to kind of understand it. And it's actually kind of ruining some movies for me. Should it be a prerequisite for anyone who's trying to write or direct a science fiction movie? Absolutely. If you want to be accurate, absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you want to be a journalist. I mean, now I look at, I understand second stages and third stages and and the different kinds of rockets and liquid fuel versus solid fuel and the advantages and disadvantages and, and the maneuvering thrusters and the way, the kinds of trajectories you need to get on yeah. and off the moon. I can't recommend this game highly enough. I think it's a snapshot into my uh, internal working that all that jargon that Fraser just threw out <laughs> all seemed like euphemisms for pooping to me. <laughs> Second stage. Second stage. Orbital thrusters. Boost. Liquid and solid. (laughs) The propellant that comes out of your butt? Yeah, exactly. You guys are saying it wouldn't be like a standard military invasion like Independence Day or the Avengers or Battleship. Those are all done because that's that's good for movies. That's a good thing to look at and you get the personal Mm person-on-person fight. But person-on-person fight is dangerous for both people. And if you want the best fight, you should be far away from people. Wait, it wouldn't go down like M. Night Shyamalan predicted in Signs where they would get locked in pantries and die when splashed with water <laughs> and they wouldn't like invade the planet like one at a time it would be a very boring well it'd be a very beautiful babies. movie as you just watch the atmosphere catch on fire and the rain of rock give it two hours of just the asteroid strike and and the subsequent destruction and the aliens just cackling from afar that so what you're saying movie. is m night Shyamalan is not a uh you know asimov level futurist or mm. anything <sighs> What about aliens taking over surreptitiously like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or The Faculty? Or the real world world with the The reptilians from Alpha Draconis? Uh Any stock on that, Fraser? What's Mm. the implausibility level? The only reason that that would happen is if they weren't like trying to invade us in, in the bad way. Right. Yeah. That if they were trying to help us, to uplift us, to to keep an eye on us, then it makes sense for them to to become a part of us. But if what they want is to destroy us and they want our planet for its valuable resources, they will choose the asteroid. But if right. they want to to you know observe us for a little while, like Starman or something, then they will do that surreptitiously. One of my favorite, favorite books on this subject is a book by Arthur C. Clarke called Childhood's End. The aliens show up, they provide all this amazing technology, and they utterly destroy human society. Oh, in a good way? In the good way, yeah, for sure. So they, they destroy all religion, they end all wars, they, they allow people to have mobility and live one place and work in another place and all these kinds of things. But their intentions are, and I, again, I don't want to spoil the book, but their intentions are not what you might think. And so they want a very specific outcome. They are setting the conditions for that outcome and they can then reap what they sow in the end. That is part of the problem, which is if the aliens show up, and they give us all this magic technology and they say, don't you worry about having to learn this. Science is hard. We know. Use our magic space right. devices yeah. that that we will become utterly dependent on the aliens. And then at some mm-hmm. point the aliens go, oh, you know what? We're going to take all that stuff away from you. What do mm-hmm. we do? Like, like imagine if aliens gave us 
cell phones and electricity and a modern food distribution system, and then they took it away from us. We would just all right die. Yeah. Mm. Certainly bitch a lot. Or pay them whatever they wanted to bring right. it back. First, first hit of our advanced technology is free. That's when yeah. they start feeding on our fear. Ah, yeah. Fear. fear. So I think that, that I love that idea of an alien, again, that for you to get whatever you want out of a human society, it's just as easy as it is with dropping an asteroid on them. Easier. You just give mm-hmm. them a thing, which they then become dependent upon, right. and then you take it away from them. Bubble tea. Bubble tea. Oh, that's yeah. what you think that's aliens are behind bubble tea? I do think they want my... They want your subservience. They've got it. All right. Yeah. Again, the aliens have already won. Mm-hmm. Uh, last trope for alien invasions, plague. Alien microbes. That sort of thing. All right. Plausible? Smallpox blankets. Yeah, exactly. We see that work. Or like The Thing, the movie The Thing. The micro- mm-hmm. the alien is the microbe. Right. The alien invader takes over that route. The Andromeda strain. All you do, come down, take a sample, go back up, create right. a superbug, drop it back down, wait for everything to die. You know, something that like dissolves DNA. Something, or even more Because they're all silicon-based anyway. They're alien, so they're not going to have DNA in the same way that we do, and they'll just come down after the Earth is just a pile of rotting goo, and they'll take over. A pile of rotting goo that they implanted us with the disease through sex. They sexed us to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zeus knew. That he's death by Zeus knew. (laughs) That would require them to both want to have sex with us and kill us. Hey, they're aliens. That's the encounter of the sixth and seventh kind just mashed into one. It's the encounter of the 6.5 kind. The 67th kind. (laughs) In the news. 2014, the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Cosmonauts have allegedly discovered trace amounts of sea plankton and other microscopic organisms living on the outside of the station, exposed mm-hmm. to the vacuum of space, according to space station official Vladimir Solovyov. Okay. NASA has not confirmed the reports. The unconfirmed claims were reportedly the result of a long-term study done using specialized equipment by Russians on the station. Previous studies have found that microorganisms can survive in outer space. For example, tardigrades, a microscopic invertebrate found all over the world, can dehydrate and fall into a hibernation that allows them to survive in space. Okay. Tardigrades, also called water bears. They are adorable. Are part of a group classified as extremophiles. This is crazy, right? Like, if this is real... This is amazing because the the International Space Station is passing through the atmosphere right. of the Earth. It's just mm-hmm. passing through a very thin atmosphere, and they they constantly have to boost it back up because it's it's getting slowed down. And in your Kerbal Space Program will teach you mm-hmm. what happens if you don't keep that boost going. So there there could very well be water vapor hitting the space station, and even adhering because there's going to be a temperature differential between the inside of the station and the outside. So you could get water condensing on the outside of the space station. Right. You could also get, there's plenty of evidence that bacteria and plankton and such makes it into water vapor, is kicked up into the high atmosphere and can colonize other parts of the earth just through, through the air. So, Mm. so all the pieces are there for water to be condensing on the outside of the space station for there to be sunlight hitting it from the sun for microscopic organisms to be showing up on the outside of the space station so this is kind of like that crud that always like collects at the bottom of my shower yeah or yes. the sides so of your of your dishwasher but n- until nasa goes yep be super skeptical about well this. just get out there with the with the scrubbing bubbles that works in my shower well analysis of a swab taken from the mars rover curiosity post cleaning but pre-launch mm-hmm. revealed 377 strains of bacteria from 65 different species 
These live in spite of our best efforts to destroy them. Those efforts include, but are not limited to, exposing all components to extreme levels of cold, pH, UV radiation, and desiccation. The study found that a shocking number of the species can readily survive one or more of these techniques. Mm -hmm. Researchers have discovered microbes in Earth's upper atmosphere. In 2013, scientists reported that they found a large number of many kinds of microorganisms in the atmosphere, 8 to 16 kilometers above the planet's surface. Mm -hmm. And in 2012, four novel strands of bacteria were discovered up to 41 kilometers high. Wow. Astronauts grew bacteria in fake urine during a flight in NASA's space shuttle Atlantis and found that it grows strangely when Uh compared to biofilms of the same species cultivated on Earth. Oh. The unique appearance and structure of the P. aeruginosa biofilms formed in microgravity suggests that nature is capable of adapting to non-terrestrial environments in ways that deserve further studies yeah of course Mm. yeah if nasa will confirm this it's super interesting it sounds plausible but i'm very skeptical that it's really happening 2014 Mm -hmm. this comes from slate magazine Uh seti search for extraterrestrial intelligence oh i thought it was the yeti's sister has traditionally focused on looking for signs of technological activity by scanning the skies for electromagnetic radiation Uh such as radio waves okay focused on attempting to intercept the conversations of extraterrestrial civilizations what if extraterrestrials prefer cds the idea of searching for electromagnetic transmissions was first popularized when radio was our primary form of communication on earth and Earth was therefore radio loud, quote unquote. Okay. Mm -hmm. But as we moved on to digital communications, we are now becoming a radio quiet planet. This leaves only about a 100 year window within which any extraterrestrial civilizations might detect our presence by our radio emissions. Right. While 100 years may sound like a long time on a scale of the cosmos, it is hardly the blink of an eye. Right. So this whole SETI thing about looking for radio signals could also have the same problem heading our direction, right? right. No, I'm going to say no on this one. Oh. oh. In our case, that you know, the fact that we are broadcasting Doctor Who episodes in all directions is a non-directional broadcast of mm-hmm. your radio waves. And the radio waves, as they expand out, they follow the inverse Square law, cube law, inverse cube law, inverse so, square. Anyway, the the strength of the signal falls very quickly over long periods of time because it's right. filling a larger and larger volume of space, and mm-hmm. so the amount of the signal is going to be incredibly low when it actually reaches some other star system. Right. And so the only effective way to do this is to is to take your very concentrated beam of radio waves, point it directly at another star that you want to try and communicate with and mm. beam at full juice in the hopes that they're going to be able to receive it. Okay. Right. So in other words, yeah, we're not going to be able to detect their Doctor Who episodes because we never could anyway because the strength of the signal is so weak and they're not going to detect ours. Right. But these alien civilizations are going to say, I want to know who's out there and I'm going to use radio waves as as a way to communicate because the only ways that we know to communicate are with electromagnetic radiation. That's all we've got. So I think that for the long time into the future, aliens are going to attempt to communicate with us via radio waves. The only other possible idea is like neutrinos as a way to communicate. Right. Because they travel through a light year of solid lead, for example. So they, they're, they're a good mechanism to try and communicate with. Except they're really hard to listen for because they'll travel right through your ears like a, yeah. like, <laughs> right. like a hot knife through butter. Well, the story goes on. Okay. Henry Lin and collaborators at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics have now proposed an alternative method for searching for ET. Okay. 
In a recent paper, they suggest we hunt for signs of extraterrestrial intelligence not by looking for noise pollution, Mm -hmm. but instead by looking for industrial pollution in the atmosphere of alien worlds. I think they should just set up Drew Barrymore with a bowl of M&Ms and they'll come to us. Reese's Pieces. Whatever. The most most interesting one that I've really heard is looking for alien structures. That If you have a triangular-shaped space station that's passing in front of its star, it actually would be very detectable even now with the technology we have mm, it couldn't just be the star with a triangle shaped zit or something yeah or a triangle shaped <laughs> planet mm-hmm. yeah. right humans are currently pumping chlorofluorocarbons into our own atmosphere as a byproduct of our technological activity cfcs are a good candidate for detecting industrial activity as they are not produced by natural sources additionally searching for industrial pollution expands the window of time that we could detect alien intelligence some CFCs have a lifetime of decades, while others will be detectable for thousands of years. Hmm. Detection of a short-lived CFC in the atmosphere of another world could therefore indicate an industrially active civilization, much like our own. Right. While longer-lived CFCs would indicate that a polluting civilization existed sometime within the last 10,000 years or so. And, and of course, as I said, we've been polluting our atmosphere with oxygen for 200 million years. But, I mean, that... But that this shows gives you the life, window. This is not, a, yeah, this is intelligent not life. Intelligence life. Yeah. Now we've been talking about pop culture throughout the entire episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is something that we haven't talked about that I do want to talk about okay. in the pop okay. culture. All right. And that is Men in Black. The, the first one, quite entertaining. Yeah. yeah. 1997, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of like an immigration uh, organization. Yeah. And and also policing for like alien visitors on the planet Earth. I think that's a really smart clever idea yeah some trivia lowell cunningham's comic was much darker and drier than the family-oriented comedy film adaptation surprise surprise in the comics the mib are allowed to maintain secrecy by any means necessary including elimination and phil plate's website bad astronomy we all know that one Mm -hmm. uh, famed for bashing sci-fi movies about scientific blunders praised the movie for being comedic yet surprisingly accurate when it comes to astronomy facts oh okay Clint Eastwood was offered the role of K, but turned it down. Well, that would have oh, been interesting. Okay. Vincent D'Onofrio went on to voice all of the bugs, the same species that he played in the movie, who appeared in Men in Black, the animated series. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Neat. He I didn't know that. so good in that. There's so many, obviously, that we could talk about. I but. love Contact. Right. I know a lot of people hate it, but to me, it's kind of, it's a little more realistic, like that, uh, that they're so advanced that they mm-hmm. can basically break what we think are the laws of physics and stuff, and... The reason that they haven't contacted us is because they're basically hiding and making sure that we can't be there. But things are hidden in like the actual structure of the universe. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people are like, we're waiting for aliens. And then it was her dad. It didn't answer a question with something that I wouldn't be happy with. And it was probably it would probably be something that aliens would do if we were to go talk to aliens Mm -hmm. and our like if we were the advanced species and they looked completely different from us, we would probably try to appear like them at first, at least. Mm -hmm. Right. Calm down. It's okay. I've got eight legs and big pincers like you do. <laughs> yeah. I've got bug eyes right. on, t- on the yeah. stocks. We spoke briefly earlier in the episode about 2001 A Space Odyssey and, mm-hmm. and in that the alien legacy is kind of the catalyst for the entire movie's plot. The point about 2001 is what we were talking about, which is that the aliens would leave an artifact, mm-hmm. that they would create their self-replicating robots and the self-replicating robots would travel from world to world and they'd build a monolith and they'd say, hey, if you ever get to this monolith, Here's your free pass. Yeah. Come join us in the space community. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way to ensure that, that, that this race is advanced enough yeah. to participate yeah. and, and ready, to, ready to join. Yeah. Each and, monolith yeah. is, is a jumpstart to the kind of the next level. Because the right. first monolith was the, 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 the apes. apes. Yeah. 
And then they learned tool use after that monolith, mm -hmm. right? And then yeah. the next one that we found on the moon, which is now you're advanced enough to get this next one, and that led them to the one out on uh, around Jupiter. Jupiter yeah. And then that led them to, I'm guessing, uh, extraterrestrial travel. Yeah. I guess that's what's going on there. You're right that they Space don't baby. explain it. Uh, yeah. Space like, baby. And, and the kind of weirdo future style room with like, you know, uh, old school French furniture, but like with all the yeah. lights in the floor and the ceiling and... It is a pretty psychedelic thrill ride. Well, Fraser, thank you so much for joining us mm -hmm. for yet another episode of Caustic Soda. What do you have on the horizon that our listeners should look out for? Well, the time, I guess, people are listening to this, we will have already started up our 2014-2015 season of Astronomy Cast. So you can get that at astronomycast.com, as well as the Weekly Space Hangout, which is our attempt to bring people the news every every week. And so we do that as a as a Google Plus Hangout on Air every Friday at noon. And you can get oh. that um, all kinds of places. You'll search for the Weekly Space Hangout. And, of course, mm -hmm. Universe Today, which is, my, which is my space news website. The other cool thing that I'm doing is uh, over on the YouTubes, mm -hmm. uh, we're releasing two Guide to Space videos every single week. Yes. And mm -hmm. these are our explainers about these crazy concepts. And so we take about four or five minutes and we answer some question like... Where are all the aliens? And what is nothing? And um, what does the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey mean? What does, the end, <laughs> what does it mean? Mm. And, and so we've covered all kinds of stuff from the philosophical to the cosmological to the nitty-gritty astronomical type information. And it's great having a lot of fun making video, which is really hard and time-consuming. Uh, but we're doing this with my mm -hmm. uh, with my buddy, and uh, you may know him, Jason Harmer. So he and I, I do know uh, Jay Harmer. Yeah, I played we... role playing games with him. Uh -huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he is funny where I am not, so it's perfect. More importantly than just about anything else, Fraser King. Stop being so coy. I'm a Sagittarius. What does it mean? <laughs> it means you're very gullible. <laughs> yeah! It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling. An ominous feeling. A feeling you know that will be back when the week is new and we'll have more gross facts for you and you'll have things you want to hear about we will Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson whilst feeding his mugwai after midnight. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, or tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. You can email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Do you want to go? Did you have a chance to look at the Google Doc? Would you like to go over what we're going to do before we do it? Uh, or do you want to be surprised? He's a pro, man. Okay. Google Doc is that a uh, Kryptonian? Google has to happen at some point. Google. Google. The, the Kryptonian uh, search mm -hmm. engine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Kryptonian archivist. The Kryptonian archivist. That's, mm. that's how Brainiac. I need to know more about Candor. I'm mm -hmm. going to plug it into Google. Yeah. <laughs>